New York Post was the first. Uh, I think they may have been the first ones I saw this story from New York Post, but also Black America Web. A groundbreaking black studies program is coming to uh, New York City schools. Uh, K through 12. This is going to be for K through 12 students. A groundbreaking black studies program is coming to uh, New York City schools. So we're going to talk about this as well at, at a time when you have uh, Republicans in state legislatures across the country trying to pass laws and governors signing uh, into law uh, bills that ban the teaching of critical race theory and also control or restrict what can be taught in schools about the history of slavery and the civil rights movement, things like this, at a time when you have uh, organizations like Moms for Liberty, uh, as we talked about earlier in the week, that are trying to get uh, books banned in schools that deal with the civil rights movement and, and, and for children because they uh, feel that uh, the books will make uh, white children feel guilty about being white. At a time when this is taking place, you have in New York City, you have them creating a curriculum for K through 12 students to teach black studies. And uh, this announcement was made on Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. And this groundbreaking curriculum is aimed at teaching students the role of race in power relationships and the impact of systemic and institutional racism. The role of race in power relationships and the impact of systemic and institutional racism. So we'll discuss this because this is a very, very important topic because you only protect what you respect and you don't invest in what you detest. You only protect what you respect and you don't invest in what you detest. So when you have to take an American history class to get a high school diploma and that class is required to be able to get these credentials to go on to, to uh, seek higher education or go on to get a job or uh, be in the military, what have you, it puts and, and people are the product of their history. Then if you say that you have to take this history class that deals with American history, largely dealing with white history, but you don't have to take a class in African-American history or African history, then you're elevating one people's narrative and the people that are the center of that narrative, Europeans, and you are and, and you are devaluing and minimizing the uh, African-Americans and their history. So this is extremely important. So we'll discuss that. Then I was on um, Hapi Talks last, um, a week before last. You know, last Sunday I was at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African-American History, Sunday, September 26th. And I was there with one of my teachers, Dr. Leonard Jeffries, uh, for the screening of the documentary, Hapi, the role of economics in the development of civilization. Uh, some of you all came out to that screening. Some of you all here in Detroit. 
but on Thursday, that Thursday, which would have been the uh, the 30th, uh, the, the Thursday would have been the 23rd. I was on Hapi Talks with uh, the film director, Taki Grant, and Sister Felicia, uh, executive producer, and Dr. Leonard Jeffries, and uh, uh, Demetrius, uh, uh, Brother Demetrius from First Independence Bank, as well as Chef Neza. And we were talking about the urban crisis in America, the urban crisis in America. And I was asked the question, uh, could reparations help address the urban crisis in America? And I answered that, gave a very lengthy, um, historic, uh, historically based response. We're going to share that with you also. September 18th, September 18th was the anniversary of the passing of the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which was part of the Compromise of 1850. Now, I did not get a chance to talk about this on our show September 18th. Uh, you know, we're here six days a week, Monday through Friday, 11 p.m. to midnight, Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, September 18th was Saturday. We didn't get a chance to talk about that Friday or Sunday. But I want to squeeze that in uh, today's show, is, uh, especially being that um, we just uh, commemorated the birthday of Nat Turner, uh, October 2nd. And then also we have the story here dealing with the Black Studies program in uh, New York City Public Schools for K through 12. Um, there's a documentary coming up on October 24th on MSNBC dealing with the Civil War and correcting the history of the Civil War. And the Missouri Compromise of 1850, and I just talked talk, uh, just talked this in one of my online classes, is one of the events that leads up to the Civil War taking place. On September 18th, 1850, the U.S. Congress passed the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which required that people who had escaped from slavery be captured and returned. And this was without uh, going to court. And the Civil War was, you know, textbooks often repeat the propaganda of Confederate apologists that the Civil War was fought to preserve states' rights. That's not true at all. It was fought to bring the South back into the Union, and the, and the dispute was over slavery. It was fought to bring the South back into the Union. The South seceded from the Union because they thought Lincoln was going to free the slaves. Lincoln was uh, uh, the the. Uh, 1860 presidential candidate of the, of the newly formed Republican Party. Republican Party was formed by groups of abolitionists to be the counter to the Democratic Party at the time. And the Southern states started, thought that Lincoln was going to free the slaves. And South Carolina was the first state to secede from the Union December 20th, 1860. So we'll talk about that as well. Now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now we deal with a number of different topics here 
on the African History Network show, we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828. Sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, you can also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Sign up for our email newsletter there as well. All right. Um, we're coming up here on a break in a few minutes. Uh, I want to jump into uh, this first story here. And this comes, uh, there's, a, there's a big article in the New York Times. Also, Washington Post has a story about this as well. Okay. There's a big article in the New York Times uh, that I saw on uh, Thursday, September 30th. More than half of police killings are mislabeled, uh, new study says. More than half of police killings are mislabeled, new study says. Now, I think there's, there should be more talk in the media about this. Okay. I know there's, uh, I know they've been covering the debt ceiling and they've been covering the $3.5 uh, trillion uh, budget plan and the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill and um, the dispute between the progressive wing of the Democratic Party and the moderates and the centrists. I, I understand that. That's, that's important to talk about. That's important to talk about. But this is also extremely important. So if we look here at this uh, article here from New York Times, we want to pull this up here on the big screen. Researchers comparing information from death certificates with data from organizations that track police killings in the United States identify a startling discrepancy. Identify a startling discrepancy. And what their what this study did it looked at police killings from 1980 to 2018 and it talks about how um, a lot of these killings are mislabeled and it's believed that the uh, number of Americans killed by police from 1980 to 2018 was undercounted by 17,000 people police killings in America have been undercounted more than half over the past four decades, according to a new study that raises pointed questions about racial bias among medical examiners, racial bias among medical examiners and highlights the lack of reliable national record keeping on what has become a major public health and civil rights issue. Now, the study conducted by researchers at the University of Washington and published on uh, Thursday, September 30th, published on Thursday, September 30th in the uh, Lancet, which is a major British medical journal. This study amounts to one of the most comprehensive looks at the scope of police violence in America and the disproportionate impact on African-Americans and the disproportionate impact on African-Americans. Now, we should hear more about this, and I brought this up to uh, Falonis Floyd, brother George Floyd, when uh, we spoke to him on Roland Martin Unfiltered. We're going to continue this. We'll talk about this on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show right here on Nats and AM Superstation, the future radio. I'm Michael Limhotep. We'll be back in a few minutes. 
on the African History Network show. We do with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do what teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation, the oldest radio station in town since 1922. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, October 3rd, 2021, and we are live. Uh, calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. We'll go to the phone lines in just a minute here. Um, you can still register for the 10-week online course that I teach on Sundays. Uh, we just, the class just started today. We had class number one today. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. So we deal with thousands of years of history and what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Uh, we do this class uh, live. All the sessions are recorded. You can uh, go back and uh, watch it as many times as you want to. and You still have access to the full course even after the class is over with. All right. So this is uh, we do a thousand years of history and what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We also deal with the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. So visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com to register for that class. All right. Uh, so I want to go back to uh, a first topic that we talked about uh, right before the break. And this deals with a study that came out Thursday, September 30th. Big article from uh, the New York Times. There should be more coverage of this. OK. And um, they talked about it. Charles Blow talked about it on. Uh, prime with Charles Blow on the Black News Channel. We were we were this was supposed to be one of the topics we were going to talk about on Roller Martin Unfiltered on Friday, but there was some um, last minute guests and things like this. So I did work it into uh, my conversation because I, I read the article as well. Um, but it, the study came out Thursday, September 30th. And it's uh, published in the uh, British Medical Journal uh, called The Lancet. And the study amounts to one of the most comprehensive looks at the scope of police violence in America and the disproportionate impact on African-Americans. Now, researchers compared information from uh, a federal database known as the National Vital Statistics System, the National Vital Statistics System, which collects uh, death certificates with uh, recent data from three organizations that track police killings uh, and they track police killings through news reports and public records requests. Okay. Researchers compared information from a federal database known as the national vital statistics system. This database collects uh, death certificate, death certificates with recent data from three organizations that track police killings through, through news reports and public records requests. When extrapolating and modeling that data back decades, 
they identify a startling discrepancy. About 55% of fatal encounters with police between 1980 and 2018 were listed as another cause of death. So they were not reported as police killings. So based upon this study, the number of Americans killed by police is undercounted for this approximately 40 year period of history by 13,000 people. The findings reflect both the contentious role of medical examiners and coroners in obscuring the real extent of police violence. Okay, so a lot of times when we talk about, we, you know, when we talk about um, um, police reform, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, we talk about voting for progressive DAs, prosecuting police officers who need to be prosecuted, unjust killings of African-Americans. But what's not talked about a lot is, and even though, yes, people would say we need the national database to track police killings and uh, the, the approximately 18,500 police departments uh, in the U.S., they report police killings on a voluntary basis to the FBI. It's not mandatory that they report police killings. It's reported on a voluntary basis. But what's not talk, what talked about a lot is the role that medical examiners and coroners play if they mislabel a killing as something other than a police killing if it actually was a police killing because that skews the numbers and it could be intentional or unintentional. The findings reflect both the contentious role of medical examiners and coroners in obscuring the real extent of police violence and the lack of centralized national data on an, on an issue on an issue that has caused enormous upheaval. Private nonprofit organizations and journalists have filed have filled the gap by mining news reports and social media. Now the, the most accurate database I know of that uh, tracks police killings is by the Washington Post and it's called Fatal Force by the Washington Post. And they look at news reports they uh, they look at local local news reports and they compile this database and I've been I've I've been looking at it for I think about five years Fatal Force, um, and each year they track about a thousand sometimes a little more than a thousand police killings and they categorize uh, each incident by uh, whether the person was armed or unarmed what type of weapon they had whether there was body cam footage uh, dash cam footage um, it, it's it, it, they categorized about race as well. It's called fatal force. Now, Dr. Christopher Murray, the director of the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington, uh, and this is the uh, university that conducted the study. He said, quote, I think the big takeaway is that most people in public health tend to take vital statistics for the U.S. and other countries as the absolute truth. Most people in public health and the U.S. tend to take vital statistics for the U.S. and other countries as the absolute truth. And it turns out 
as we show the vital statistics are missing more than half of the uh, more than half of the police violence deaths more than half of the police violence deaths deaths this is one of the things that's in the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act okay so you get an accurate count of police killings you have to have an accurate count to understand how severe the problem is to understand what measures need to be taken so Dr. Uh, Dr. Christopher Murray went on to say, you have to look for why those deaths that are being picked up by the open source investigations, like, like the Washington Post, looking in the media and elsewhere are not showing up in the official statistics, okay? You have to look for why those deaths that are being picked up by the open source investigations like the Washington Post, why they aren't showing up in the official statistics. That, that does point to the system of medical examiners and the incentives that may exist for them to want to not classify a death as related to police violence, end quote. Now, researchers estimated that over, the, over this time period of 1980, to um, 2018, 1980 to 2018. Researchers estimated that over that time period, they studied which roughly tracks the era of the war on drugs, and the war on drugs dates back to June 17, 1971, when Richard Nixon declared his war on drugs in the US Congress and was asking for uh, increased funding to fight the war on drugs which roughly tracks the era of the war on drugs and the rise of mass incarceration, which dates back to the early 1970s. Nearly 31,000 Americans were killed by police. Nearly 31,000 Americans were killed by police with more than 17,000 of them going unaccounted for in the official statistics. Nearly 17,000, the, the, the number is undercounted by about 15, 55%, with more than 17,000 of them being unaccounted for in the official statistics. The study also documented a stark racial gap. African-Americans were 3.5 times as likely to be killed by police as white Americans were. African-Americans were 3.5 times more likely to be killed by police than white Americans were. Data on Asian-Americans was not included in the study, but Latinos and Native Americans also suffered high rates of fatal police violence than white people. Now, based upon statistics we do have and looking at fatal force, things like this, we do also know, and this is not talked about a whole lot in the media, and I think it should be talked about in the media more so, and when it comes to the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act trying to get that passed, especially get that passed in the Senate, they need, they should talk more about uh, white people who were killed by police because I'm telling you right now, most people don't understand the makeup of the U.S. Senate. It's this, and the same thing goes for the the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. The same thing goes for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Or the, or the Freedom to Vote Act, which uh, Senator Raphael Warnock and, and Senator Joe Manchin put together and others. 
there's a hundred U.S. senators. Only two and a half of them are black. Why do I say half? Because Senator Tim Scott, Republican of South Carolina, half the time he doesn't act like it. There's only two and a half black senators in out of a hundred in the U.S. Senate. About 95 of them are white. So you go to the Senate talking about black this, black that. That's a good that's a good way for your bill to get shut down. What they should do is the same thing. Look, let me tell you, I love John Lewis. John Lewis was one of my frat brothers, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. I never met him in person. I saw him at a distance when I was at the uh, Congressional Black Caucus weekend in I think it was 2015 to 2016. I was there with the Empowerment Radio Network. Um, as much as I love John Lewis, and I disagree with him on some things, black power movement, things like this. And we'll go to the phone lines in just a second. 313-778-7600 is the calling number. If you have a question or comment, 313-778-7600 is the calling number. If you have a question or comment, we're going to go to clip two first uh, from the Black News Channel. Uh, let me see. Hold on. Is that clip two or clip three? The, the clip from the Black News Channel, Charles Lowe, we're going to go to that first. Um, this is going to be the first clip that I go to, uh, Jalen. Okay, yeah, we're gonna uh, clip three. We're gonna go to that one first. Um, as much as I love John Lewis, I would not have named the the voting rights bill after John Lewis. You know, you know who I would have named the bill after? <laughs> I would have named the bill after Susan B. Anthony. The reason why is because yeah, the bill is gonna pass the House of Representatives because you got 57 members of the Congressional Black Caucus basically in the House of Representatives. It takes 218 votes to get a bill passed in uh, in the House of Representatives. Okay, you have like 220 uh, Democrats and you have um, uh, 220 Democrats and you have like 212 Republicans. So yeah, it's gonna pass the House, but the demographics are different in the Senate. If you name the bill after Susan B. Anthony, then what you do is you put at the forefront the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which gave women the right to vote, especially white women the right to vote. Because as long as voting rights is perceived as a black issue, as long as people connect the vote, voting rights today to the 1965 Voting Rights Act and Dr. King and Selma and Bloody Sunday, and yeah, I saw the movie from Ava DuVernay, and yeah, I go to the Dr. King celebrations, yeah, we miss John Lewis. As long as people think that's a black people's issue, you're going to lose. As long as people think that's a black people's issue, if you, in the city, it'll pass the House. Now, it passed the House of Representatives, uh, two, I think it was 220 to 212. No Republicans in the House of Representatives voted for it. It passed the House, but you got to get that bill through the Senate. And you need 60 votes in the Senate. If it's 50 Republican, if it's 50 Democrats in the Senate, that means you need 10 Republicans. So you're going to have to have pressure coming from different groups that are affected by these voter suppression bills coming from Republican state legislatures, Republican dominated state legislatures. The, 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 the women that had the protests uh, this weekend, those voting rights, the, the suppression of voting rights impacts them. But as long as it's perceived as a black issue, you're not going to be able to tap into those groups that have them put pressure on their members of the U.S. Senate, regardless of whether it's a Democratic senator or Republican senator. There are 38 million 
disabled Americans who are registered to vote. 38 million disabled Americans registered to vote. When you talk about restricting mail-in ballots, that impacts negatively disabled Americans, many of them who use mail-in ballots regardless of race. So you, so, so, so this is something that uh, Reverend William Barber has, has been doing in the Poor People's Campaign, more monies, et cetera. They've been expanding this conversation. You gotta expand that conversation. As long as this is perceived as a black issue, the same thing with police killings. As long as it's just a black thing, you're gonna lose in the Senate. Um, let's go to the phone lines quickly. Let's go to Larry, line one. Larry's been holding for a while. Hey, Larry, thanks for being patient. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the African History Network show. Larry, tell us where you're calling from. Okay, I'm calling from uh, Detroit. From Detroit, uh, okay. You know, I, I attended the, uh, yes, I, I attended the event there at the uh, Charles H. Wright. Oh, okay, thanks. Uh, the other day when uh, you all were there and Dr. Jeffrey was there. So, but uh, I, I just have to say this, and, uh, you know, because it, it really hurt me from my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, when we got to Dr. Leonard Jeffries, Dr. <laughs> Jeffries stopped the event and asked, why did we do libation? I was particularly troubled by that. Mm -hmm. I noticed that uh, with the, uh, the, the uh, mindset of uh, individuals who are teaching uh, our history, uh, going back to our struggles, one of the things that they omit at many of their events is libation. Mm -hmm. And I, like Dr. Jeffries, would like to state this for a fact, that we cannot do, deal with these struggles, these issues that we're facing, without our ancestors being invited to join in our mindset right. and direct us on how we should proceed. Who knows better than them? So to, to admit that, I was very troubled by it. Right. So, and I'm also troubled by, uh, in the movie, mm -hmm. how uh, Dr. Asma Kwasi, uh, Kwasi was, was not a part of the Egyptian or Kenneth uh, 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 tour or uh, the, you know, the whole mindset of showing us from a perspective or African perspective of what actually happened, how we were unified you're talking about he was you're talking about he was not in the movie is that what you're saying no he was he, he was he was he was not in the movie he was right. he, he didn't get an audible mentioned in the movie right so his, so you know, his wife and himself so so so, so uh, yeah so let me so let me say this larry 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 can you hear me slow down slow down for a second um so 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 okay hold on just a second just, just a second that that issue would be something to take up with the directors of the film that's not me that um and for instance and, and the reason why i say that is because they contacted people to be in the film i don't know if Asher kawazi was contacted or not i was contacted to be in the film we couldn't coordinate our schedules for for them to actually interview me. So I wasn't in the film. So before we start talking about that, that's that's something you want to take up with Taki and Felicia. I don't know if I don't know if they weren't were not well, asked. I, I thought that you know when we first when we purchased when we purchased tickets about the event, we were told that there would be a question and answer period. Mm -hmm. Yet we were, we were not asked about you know have, you know give any questions or to ask any questions. Yeah, we we were running short on time. We we were running short on time. Yeah, 
Right. Yeah. We were, we were running short on time. That's what happened because so, we because we, we started the, 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 yeah we started late yeah there's a lot of people that want to document Professor Kabahai Wafa Kamane wasn't in the document there's a lot of people I'm in seven documentaries everybody doesn't get in the, in everybody doesn't get in the documentary one two um, everybody that's asked to be in the documentary doesn't want to be in it that's another thing there's some documentaries I've turned down so everybody's asked to be in the documentary doesn't accept or they may not be able to connect to coordinate the schedules. I live in Detroit, Taki lives in New York. He contacted me when he came up with the idea for the documentary. And in my travels and his travels, we were there were times we were trying to connect. And uh, like when I'm in New York and try to connect to do my interview, we weren't able to do it. So I wasn't in the documentary, but he said, look, we're definitely gonna get you in part two. But, th but thanks for your call, Larry. I appreciate you coming out, okay? Keep listening. Thanks for your call. All right, um, so, Let's continue here. Um, I want to go to clip number uh, clip number three, uh, Jalen. So this is from the Black News Channel, uh, Charles Blow. This is from Friday, October 1st. And this dealt with the study that came out on Thursday uh, dealing with how more than half of police killings were not accounted for. More than half of police killings were not accounted for. Let's go to this clip, Jay. In one of the most stunning examinations of police violence in America, researchers at the University of Washington revealed today that more than half of police killings have been undercounted over the last 40 years. Researchers looked at a federal database called the National Vital Statistics System and estimated that among the 31,000 Americans who died at the hands of police between 1980 and 2018, 17,000 have been misclassified in official records. The study also found a horrifying racial discrepancy. Black people were 3.5 times as likely as to be killed by police as white people. Joining me now to discuss is Karen Martin, Associate Assistant Professor of Public Policy and Governance at the University of Washington. Professor Martin, this, these numbers just blew my mind uh, today. Explain to us what it means that they are undercounted or uh, or misclassified. Well, the basic sense of this, of what it means, is that the official federal statistics do not actually capture all of the deaths, meaning that when something is reported as a death at the you know, local level, the medical examiners are not entering data in a way that it reflects in the aggregate as being caused by police officers. So that's the basic issue here is that the data are not being collected in a way that we can see and aggregate what's actually happening and there's a lot of reasons we can get into about why that is the case. So, so then how, how were you as researchers able to establish that these this 17,000 deaths were actually uh, as a result of police violence even if they were not captured that way by medical examiners? Well just to be clear I was not personally part of the study but I am at the same university, and so having read the study myself, what they did is they, they very cleverly used these open source databases where people around the world have been tracking police killings over different periods of time. And so the researchers, using pretty sophisticated statistical techniques, were able to use these open source databases, um, do some statistical analysis, and figure out the rate of undercounting. Or, or so it's an extrapolation. It's not a counting each 
you know, birth, a death certificate. Okay, exactly. I can't say. So, uh, so, and, and, and the, the other thing that um, is interesting to me is, do we know anything about whether or not the police would have considered these to be justified killings? You know, it's a strange word, but that's the word that they use. Right. Actually, we don't know anything from this type of data. You would have to go back to the recording, but that kind of raises the, the ultimate question, which is the fact that these are not being counted. A lot of deaths are not being counted police, you know, initiated. Um, what that doesn't really tell you anything about how they were justified, what the situation was. So basically, we're missing a lot of different types of data. The fact that police were involved, whether it was justified, was the person fleeing. Was it a gunshot? Was it strangulation? Like, we don't have a lot of data, and that's actually the, the crux of the problem here. One of, you know, this giant racial discrepancy also sticks out that black people were 3.5 likely to be killed by police as white people. You know, is there any way to explain that as anything other than what we think it is? No, I don't think there is. I mean, if you look at the history of policing, to see, you know, objective historical truth is that there's a connection between modern-day policing and, and its origins in slave patrols. That's just ha what happened in this country. Um, so throughout the history of policing, there's always been this racialized element to their work. And you can count on that, the racial history of the country. Um, you add mass incarceration over police communities, under police communities, the heightened suspicion that people of color, especially black men, are held to by the general public and police very often. That all adds up to, yes, we're going to see a disparity that is as shocking as 3.5 times as high compared to white people. So what do we do with data like this? I mean, I know this is not your area is shifting a bit into politics, but what do we do with this? I mean, it's shocking. Do we just say, oh, there's just another set of shocking data? The, you know, the, in Congress, the, the police reform bill has fallen apart. Negotiations have completely stopped on that. So what, what, do you, what do you think we should do when we find data like this? Well, I hope we do something. I mean, we have to do something. I think there's a variety of, of implications of data like this. One is, again, just going back to root causes, some type of education campaign awareness that the people reporting deaths, they actually have a duty to record it as being police involved at a bare minimum. It's not about assigning blame at that point. It's just literally reporting the facts. Where was law enforcement involved in this death? That would be step one, right? To so just like educate so the local level. That's on the medical examiner. They should be, that, that's where they're yeah. calling now. This is, you're putting that on their, right. on their lap. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I mean, and it, you know, to be fair, some of them work in sheriff's offices. Some of them, this is not, you know, they haven't been trained that this is the way to do it. A lot of the forms literally don't have like a space to record this type of information. So I'm not really assigning blame to, you know, individual medical examiners. The whole structure needs to be recalibrated to take this into account. So I would say that the basic is let's collect the right information, but then going further, which I'm in a school of public policy, so I care about what we're going to do with the policies here. It's really important that this does say in the public discourse that policymakers hear this data, that decision makers understand the impact of this, that this is yet another site of a very problematic racial disparity that is you know, very rigorously assessed using statistical techniques. Um, so it can't be ignored. It's just, uh, to me, it's on par of learning that you know, one in 100 adults are incarcerated, right? So when we learn and when it becomes in the public discourse just how profoundly impactful mass incarceration is, I think we did start to see a shift, right? Like that people did start to get a growing awareness of how problematic that was. So my hope is that this, these statistics will do the same thing 
that as opposed to just being like one individual at a time being killed by police and, it, you know, protests happen, people are outraged, rightly so, but as opposed to seeing, you know, perhaps a, a might seem like more than a trickle, but seeing, you know, one person after another, to see this in aggregate over decades, I really hope that that sticks in people's minds and, and makes them aware that they're not just being, you know, a series of big news events every, you know, few months, that this is a pattern of history that we really need to address in policy. Professor Mark, thanks so much for your time. I, I, I'm still stuck on this. Like I just. All right. So that was from um, Charles Blow Prime, the Black News Channel, from Friday, October first, twenty twenty one. He was speaking with um, Professor Karen Martin. Karen Martin, assistant professor of public policy and governance at the University of Washington. Okay. Uh, researchers at the University of Washington revealed uh, that more than half of police killings have been undercounted for over the last 40 years. Researchers looked at um, looked at a federal database. Researchers looked at a federal database called the National Vital Statistics uh, System and estimated that among the 31,000 uh, Americans who died at the hands of police between 1980 and 2018, 17,000 have been misclassified in official records. African-Americans were 3.5 times as likely to be killed by police than white people. Uh, Karen Martin, assistant professor of public policy and governance at the University of Washington, uh, spoke with Charles Blow on Prime on the Black News Channel to discuss the study. Okay, so let's go back to this article here very quickly. Um, and then I want to squeeze in this clip from Roland Martin Unfiltered because we discussed this briefly uh, Friday on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Friday, uh, October 1st. So the annual number of deaths in police custody has generally gone upward since 1980 even as crime, notwithstanding a rise in homicides in 2020 amid the dislocations of the coronavirus pandemic. But um, uh, crime has declined from its peak in the 1990s. Crime is nowhere near the levels it was, generally speaking, in the 1990s. Now, the states with the highest uh, rates of police killings were Oklahoma, Arizona and Alaska, as well as the District of Columbia, while the states with the lowest rates were Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Minnesota, according to the study. Researchers estimated that about 20 times as many men as women were killed by police over the past several decades. Researchers estimated that about 20 times as many men compared to women were killed uh, by police over the past several decades from 1980 to 2018. More men, more American men died in 2019 during, during police encounters than from Hodgkin lymphoma or testicular cancer. Now, unexplained or violent deaths in the United States are investigated by uh, coroners or medical, medical examiners who use autopsies, toxicology tests, and evidence like body camera footage 
to determine the cause and manner of death. Okay, they use autopsies, toxicology tests, and evidence like body camera footage to determine the cause and manner of death. Now, the death certificate does not specifically ask whether the, the police were involved in the killing, which many contribute to the undercount identified by the study. But medical examiners are trained to include the information. So the death certificate does not specifically ask whether or not police were involved in the killing. The system has long been criticized for fostering a cozy relationship with law enforcement. Forensic pathologists regularly consult with uh, detectives and prosecutors, and in some jurisdictions, they are directly employed by police agencies. In some jurisdictions, the uh, uh, forensic pathologists are employed by police agencies. Yet pathologists have also complained on occasion that law enforcement does not provide them all relevant information that they have been pressured to. And, and they also complain that they have been pressured to change their opinions or that coroners who are usually elected, usually elected by the people and are not always required to have a medical degree can and do overrule their findings so that so there has to be a reform as professor martin just said there has to be a reform in how this is done the researchers found that some of some of the misclassified deaths occurred because medical examiners failed to mention law enforcement's uh law enforcement's involvement on the death certificate while others other killings other deaths were improperly coded in the national database so you have an undercount of 17,000 police killings from 1980 to 2018. we're going to continue this on the other side of the break We'll go to, uh, I'll share an excerpt with you from Roland Martin Unfiltered. We spoke to Philonis Floyd, brother of George Floyd, about the uh, uh, breakdown in the negotiations on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act in the U.S. Senate. Senator Tim Scott got exposed this past week for, it appears, lying about Democrats saying they wanted to defund the police and the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. That wasn't even part of the bill. We'll discuss this and also a groundbreaking black studies program that's coming to K through 12 schools in New York City. Uh, we'll deal with this on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation of Future Radio on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. All right, stand by.
back from back from break in one minute. Stand by. Nine ten AM Superstation, a division of Adele Media. I'm Brother Michael M. Hotel and African History Network show. We deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies to take it out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 9 The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 910 AM Superstation or Adele Media. Welcome back to the After History Network show right here on 910 AM the Superstation the Future Radio. I'm your host brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, October 3rd, 2021, and we are live. Hope everybody's doing well. Okay, call the numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Um, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for uh, our new 10-week online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, uh, what they didn't teach you in school. So we had class number one today. End up doing three hours. As soon as you register for the class, you can watch uh, class number one. And it was, I mean, it was, it, we had a good class. Um, some of the things we dealt with, we, we dealt with laying a foundation today, okay? We dealt with laying a foundation today. So we dealt with a brief overview of, of history going back uh, to about, Five million years ago and going through looking at some archaeological discoveries um, that have happened in the past few years and dispelling some myths um, as well. And we dealt with some of the African presence in the Americas dating back at least 51,700 years with the Khoisan in the territory we call South Carolina and information coming from Dr. David M. Hotep in his book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Uh, but looking at uh, some scientific uh, discoveries as well, uh, one of the things we talked about is how before 1619, there was 1526. Before 1619, there was 1526. And the, 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 uh, Spanish were taking Africans into the territory we call South Carolina in uh, 1526, okay? And the Spanish conquistador Juan Ponce de Leon comes into Florida in uh, 1513 with uh, uh, Juan Garrido. And Juan Garrido is uh, an African man who was born in West Africa around 1480. 1480 common era. Okay. So today's class, we laid a foundation, um, did a brief overview of the class. We talked about, uh, some about the film Black Panther and the language spoken in the film Black Panther, which is Isi Kosa, which is a Bantu language. It's a real African language and, um, some of the African influences in the film Black Panther. Um, we talked about things how, um, 
understanding like for now this what i say may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness just because you never heard it before disagree with it or don't like it does not mean it's not true but just means you have to do some research to understand what i'm talking about uh looking at for instance the celebration of easter and what determines when easter is celebrated and easter is celebrated on the first sunday following the first full moon following the vernal equinox and uh understanding the uh, origins of the term Easter coming from Oistra and Istra, um, Anglo-Saxon and Teutonic goddesses that were associated with fertility uh, and how when you look up the word Jesus in the dictionary, especially an etym etymological dictionary, it takes you back to Yeshua with a Y because the letter J wasn't created to 1630 AD. The letter J is derived from the letter I. So we dealt with we dealt with a lot of history today and just worked on laying a foundation. Okay. Um, you can visit our website, africanhistorynetwork.com. There's, there's a lot that we covered today. Uh, you visit our website, africanhistorynetwork.com. You can register for the course. It's regularly $130. It's on sale. $80. We do the sessions live. All of them are archived. So as soon as you register, you can watch today's class. Okay. Uh, so we'll post it there. So we just posted the link here also. All right. Now, okay, we just lost our connection with um, the radio station. Okay, hold on just a second. Let me call them back. Stand by. Yeah, we lost our connection. Okay. All right. All right. We're back. We lost our connection here through Skype. Okay. Let's continue. Uh, and also the call in number is 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. All right. Um, so right before the break, we were talking about the uh, study from the New York Times that came out on Thursday, September 30th. Uh, more than half of police killings are mislabeled, new study says. Researchers comparing information from death certificates with data from organizations that track police killings in the United States identified a startling discrepancy. And they identified that police killings were underreported by 55%, and there were actually 17,000 more police killings from 1980 to 2018 that had been previously reported. So um, on Friday, October 1st, uh, I'm a panelist on Roland Martin Unfiltered, usually every Friday. Friday, October 1st, we spoke with Philonis Floyd, uh, brother of George Floyd, and we talked about the um, George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, the talks between Senator Tim Scott and the Democrats, um, the talks ending because uh, really Senator Tim Scott is being disingenuous. And uh, I also brought up this new study as well. Uh, let's go to let's go to clip one, uh, Jalen. We've been talking all week about the failure of Republicans and Democrats to come to a resolution and agreement of the George Floyd Justice Act. 
even breaking down for you uh, the big discrepancies and the frankly hypocritical positions of South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Now, yesterday we talked on the show about how Senator Tim Scott previously agreed with withholding funds from police departments that did not make changes based upon federal law. What is the total opposite of what he said on Sunday on Face of Asia when he was criticizing Democrats for the exact same thing? Now, last night, I sent a text message to Senator Tim Scott asking him specifically about the contradiction. He's yet to respond. I sent an email to his staff, who yesterday sent me several emails regarding his position, specifically asking them about his prior position and his own deputy chief of staff telling Michael Herod of the Roots why they were doing it. I've gotten no response from his Senate staff. How does George Floyd family feel? Only Floyd is his brother. He joins us live right now uh, from my home city, Houston, Texas. Floyd, glad to have you back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Um, just share with us your, your feeling right now with the fact that when y'all were in D.C. in May for the one-year anniversary of the death of your brother, Y'all came and sat with me on Black Lives Matter Plaza in D.C. Yes, the only interview y'all did that day, after you came from Capitol Hill, after you met with Senator Tim Scott, Senator Cory Booker, Senator Lindsey Graham, and others, well, they promised you they were going to get this done. Just share with our audience your reaction to hearing Senator Tim Scott say, the Democrats want to defund the police, and that's why we can't move forward. Okay, are we okay? Every time I spoke with them, I never said anything about defunding the police. You need police because you have bad people. The problem is for police, you shouldn't have to sort them out. Everybody should be equal and be good and do their job the right way. The problems that we are having, we're not having them because of them defunding the police. The police are free to roam and do what they want to do, but they're killing innocent black African-American people who I love, people of color, period. My brother passed, but he didn't. He died because he was murdered. The man stayed on his neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds. Hell, I was a truck driver, Mr. Rowland. The day my brother died, I could have hit rock, rock bottom, but I didn't. I chose to get up and help these families because I was in a fight. Because when you lose someone that you love so much, it can change your entire life. And that's the reason I get up every day and I tell myself I'm speak. But speaking to Timothy Eugene Scott, speaking to Lindsey Graham multiple times, multiple times, and I have sat there and watched these people lie to me in my face. Not just me, you had other families in there. You had Bolton John, you had Terrence Crutcher, you had Eric Gordon. These are moms and sisters. I'm a brother. 
the fact that you had moms in there and you lied to somebody's mom who lost their child, that's that's very painful. And Gianna was in there too. They lied to Gianna. She's a child. You shouldn't lie to kids. You don't have to. She didn't ask for her dad to be murdered. He was murdered by the police, and it's and that is your job to make sure that you put laws in place intact to help other individuals be able to live and be free and have freedom. We don't have freedom. I don't care what people say. My brother, he walked to the store. That was a problem. He was murdered. You got a mod Arvin. He ran down the street jogging. He was lynched. You have Bolton Jean. He was in the comfort of his own home eating ice cream and was murdered by a police officer because she came into the wrong house. Not only that, you have Brianna Taylor. She was murdered off a no-knock warrant, and she was killed, and she still don't even know she did because she was asleep. This is not a mistake. These are patterns. And Timothy Eugene Scott, you need to wake up. Lindsey Graham, you the one that said you were going to get this bill passed. You told us that. And we all sat there and believed because we can't make you do anything. All we know is you all can make laws for the elite and the chosen, but we want you to make laws for the people, the people with no voices. And I'm one of the people that don't stand up for these people. And I know, Mr. Rowland, you've been doing it for a long time, and I've been watching a lot of your shows. But the fact that I agree that we would have to fight and we don't have to do it all over. The fact that my ancestors, they have passed away countless of times all over 400 years. And all they wanted to do was just be free and live their life the way they should have been able to live countless times. I look up every day and I think about them being beaten, uh, trying to vote, trying to think that, okay, if I vote, I can put the right president in and I can get things accomplished. You know, we believe in Biden's administration. And what I can tell you, all we asking for the same thing we've been asking for, for over 400 years. We just want to be treated fairly. That's all we want. And okay. so you can sit believe in the Biden administration. We, yeah, you I, I, I believe in the Biden administration. What, what do you want President Biden to do right now? I want him to call and call down to Eugene Scott and Lindsey Graham, everybody, because Sheila Jackson Lee, the Energizer Bunny, she's been running herself rapidly and crazy in circles trying to get things accomplished. Uh, yeah, Karen Bass, yeah, Pelosi, all of these people, they're looking because they know what's going on. The problem is, it's with Eugene Scott and with Lindsey Graham, and probably more Republicans, because we don't want to defund the police. We want the police to respect us as human beings. We just want to be treated fairly. Okay, pa- pause it right there, Jalen. Pause it right there. Okay, when, when, when he says Eugene Scott, he's talking about Senator Tim Scott. Apparently his middle name is Eugene, so just, just you understand who he's talking about. Senator Tim Scott, black Republican from South Carolina, was the one negotiating on behalf of Republicans with the Democrats in uh, on behalf of Republicans in the Senate with Democrats on 
the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, the version that was going to be voted on in the U.S. Senate. Okay, so just so you understand this, um, read this article here. We talked about this article earlier in the week because we're on six days a week. We talked about this article earlier in the week. Largest U.S. police group appears to counter Senator Tim Scott's argument that Democrats sought to defund police and reform negotiations. We're going to go to clip two, uh, Jalen. So cue that up. We're going to go to clip two. Um, and then also read this one here from uh, the Washington Post. Now, this the first one's from theweek.com. Read this from the Washington Post. I sent this to Roland uh, and his producer um, when the, the day that it came out, because I know he was talking about Senator Tim Scott. And um, we, we talked about it here on this show as well, uh, the day that the article came out. And then this one here, Washington Post police groups say, quote unquote, defunding the police was not proposed and reform talks counter to GOP senators claim. They're talking about Senator Tim Scott. They just didn't put his name up there. I say, put him on blast, put his name up there. Okay. Now, um, Roland went to his panel uh, and we talked to Felonis Floyd. Here's what I asked him. Let's go to this clip. Michael. Hey, Brother Felonis. Uh, thanks for coming on today and sharing this information with us. And, uh, yes, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I just, my heart goes out to you and your family and you all keep persevering as well. So I, I see that also. Um, yesterday, the New York Times had a huge story that talked about more than half of police killings are mislabeled. And they looked at a 40 year, they're looking at a 40 year period of time from 1980 to 2018 and about 55% of fatal encounters with police officers have been mislabeled. They have not properly been counted. So we're looking at about an undercount of about 17,000 people who have been killed by police from 1980 to 2018. Um, with information like this, this just came out yesterday. With information like this, one, do you think this will help be able to push through the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act? Because one of the things that it will do is require accurate reporting when it comes to police fatalities. Uh, and two, there's some talk about a carve out to the filibuster rule to be able to get this pushed through the Senate uh, about 51 votes, 50 uh, Democrats and Vice President Kamala Harris being a tiebreaker. What, what are your thoughts on this and trying to get this pushed through um, uh, through a carve out to the filibuster? Because we're not going to get any help from Republicans on this. Yeah. Installing. Now, my thoughts is. We gotta build. We gotta. We gotta build, and we have to continue. Just like you said, what you read in the Times, we have to continue to gather that information and just apply it to people who need to hear it constantly. Because the problem is not us; it's, it's clearly everybody else. Because we're not the one killing people; we are the ones being murdered. So, for us to have the problems that we have now, I pretty much think that. We need to, not only us, uh, anybody else who wants to relate a message just like what you just said, we we can. Um, I'll even like speak to them when I have the opportunity to, because right now, evidently, you can see what's going on. Nobody wants to speak to me now because I'm an outrage. And the fact that, <laughs> I, you know, I understand, but... 
the problem is that I'm going with now, it's not about like a how much. It's the problem is basically it's like change doesn't come without cost. Okay, we're coming up on the break here because we got to pay the cost, uh, <laughs> pay some bills, uh, run these ads. Uh, <laughs> coming up on the break, we'll continue this on the other side of the break. Let's to the African History Network show right here on 9 10 a.m. Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. We deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It is laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's only laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the consequences of his or her actions because mind can't do a teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. Nine ten, the superstition, Detroit's only African American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show, right here on nine ten AM Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, um, October third, twenty twenty one, and we are live. Hope everybody's doing well. Calling numbers three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred. 313-778-7600 just to call in number if you have a question or comment. Right before the break, uh, I was sharing uh, this segment from Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, where we spoke to Philonis Floyd, uh, brother of George Floyd. We'll go back to that in just a second. Also read this article here from uh, theweek.com, theweek.com. Uh, this came out September 28th, 2021. The la- uh, largest U.S. police group appears to counter Senator Tim Scott's argument that Democrats sought to defund the police in reform negotiations. Um, we've talked about this early in the week, and uh, all these shows are archived here on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. They're also an audio podcast format. Uh, but if we look at this article quickly here, it says, Senator Tim Scott, Republican from South Carolina, suggested that his police reform talks with Senator Cory Booker, Democrat from New Jersey, and Representative Karen Bass, a Democrat from California. Senator Tim Scott suggested that the the police reform talks fell apart primarily because Democrats sought to defund the police by making departments ineligible for funding if they failed to meet certain criteria. But a pair of prominent uh, police organizations, the International Association of Chiefs of Police and the Fraternal Order of Police, appear to push back against Senator Tim's push back against Senator Tim Scott's argument in a statement uh, this past Tuesday, which was uh, that was Tuesday, the 28th. They said they said despite now they did not mention Senator Tim Scott by name. But they said, quote, despite some media reports, at no point did any legislative draft propose defunding the police. In fact, the legislation specifically provided additional funding to assist law enforcement agencies in training, agency accreditation and data collection initiatives, quote unquote. Now, those provisions would have helped strengthen 
law enforcement, improve community police engagement, quote, without compromising management and officers' rights, authorities, and legal protections, end quote, the statement continues. Read the rest of this article. Also read the one from Washington Post. Senator Tim Scott got caught. Okay, Senator Tim Scott got caught. Okay, so Democrats are going to have to, no Republicans are going to, most likely, no Republicans are going to vote for this. You need 60 votes to get this passed in the Senate. The makeup, the, the, the structure of the Senate, the rules of the Senate are different than the House of Representatives. So Democrats are going to have to do a carve out or change the filibuster to go back to a standing filibuster to get this, to, to be able to get this passed in the Senate with a um, uh, 50, with a, uh, with, with 51 votes, 50, 50, 50 Democrats and Vice President Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker. All right, let's go back to this clip here. Uh, we were speaking with Falonis Floyd. Let's go back to uh, the clip of Jalen. And basically, how much are you willing to lose to win the fight? We're not going to walk, but we're not laying down either. So I stand with you, brother. And every all the information that you, you're telling me, I'm going to use it, and I'm going to make sure they understand that these are facts. This is not fiction. Facts. Right. You can't, you can't take away facts, just like you couldn't take away that video of our brother. I'm here to tell okay. you. All right. Oh, okay, so I was speaking with uh, Falonis Floyd. Um, um, we went to him on the panel discussion. Okay, thanks, Jalen. Okay, pause it right there, Jalen. Pause it right there. All right, thanks. Okay, you can check out that entire broadcast. That is from Friday, October 1st, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, you can watch him on the Black uh, Black Star Media Network. Roland has his own digital streaming network now on, on uh, Roku and Amazon Prime, and you can download the app Black Star Media. Uh, and then he still broadcasts on Facebook and YouTube on um, Roland Martin on Facebook and YouTube. Okay, I, I want to go to this next story here. And, you know, we deal with stories about uh, the, the attack on critical race theory and Republicans misstating what critical race theory is and saying critical race theory is being taught uh, in, in, in schools and, it, and it's not taught in K through 12. Critical race theory is not taught in K through 12. Um, out of New York, they are, they announced, uh, on Thursday, September 30th, that a new curriculum regarding black studies is going to, uh, be taught in K through 12 in, uh, New York city schools. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to clip, uh, for Jalen from ABC Channel 7 New York. We're gonna to go to clip four in just a second. So this is good news, okay? And this, at, at the very same time that you have Republicans and state legislatures passing voter restriction bills and also passing uh, uh, bills to restrict what can be taught in schools about uh, history and the civil rights movement and in uh, the history of slavery and systemic racism and things like this. Uh, we have this New York Post has an article dealing with this as well as um, uh, blackamericaweb.com also. Uh, New York City announces, let's pull this up from Black America Web. New York City announces plans 
for educational reform in how black history is taught uh, in America, how black history is taught in America. And this deals with uh, K through 12 uh, students in uh, New York City. So according to the New York Post, uh, city schools chancellor, city schools chancellor, uh, Maisha Ross Porter introduced the new black studies curriculum on Wednesday, the new black studies curriculum on Wednesday at the Schomburg center for research in black culture in Manhattan. Okay. And they talk about how this, uh, curriculum is going to, um, deal with the role of race. The this curriculum would deal with the role of race in power relationships and the impact of systemic and institutional racism. Okay. The power of race in power relationships, the role of race in power relationships and the impact of systemic and institutional racism. Okay. Um, this piece here from uh, blackamericaweb.com here. Let's pull this up. Black people deserve to have our history be taught as more than just a footnote in America's and the world's story. Now, uh, New York City Schools Chancellor Maisha Porter said, quote, if we're serious about addressing racial justice, if we're serious about addressing racial justice, we have to look at what our students learn every day and not just black children, but all children. If we're serious about addressing racial justice, we have to look at what our students learn every day and not just black children, but all children. Our children have to see an experience. Our children have to see and experience themselves every single day in the curriculum. They have to see their value and worth because they have seen so many other messages that say different. Uh, let's go to this clip, Jalen. This is from um, uh, ABC uh, Channel 7 affiliate in New York. Let's go to this clip. Well, the nation's largest school district is unveiling a groundbreaking curriculum change to teach children about the history and contributions of black Americans. New York City Public Schools will develop a black studies program for students in grades K through 12 in all five boroughs. I would have used race and culture reporter Crystal Cranmore explains how the new program is coming together. At the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in Harlem, a community influential in black culture. Black history is coming to New York City Department of Education. Education advocates announced a black studies program for grades K through 12 Wednesday, a first for the city. Certainly, I certainly did not begin in 16, 19, and we know that. And some of my children know what they need to know, but it's equally important that other people know it. Leaders aim to launch a pilot version of the Education Equity Action Plan in a select number of schools. The initiative will teach children about the early African civilization, the black experience in America, and the contributions and accomplishments of the African diaspora. 
It was not until I stepped foot onto the campus of Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, a historically black all-women's college, that I gained that deeper knowledge. To get the program started, City Council's Black Latino and Asian Caucus has secured $10 million in next year's budget. The money will go to a handful of organizations, including the Black Education Research Collective at Columbia University and the Eagle Academy Foundation, who will help fast the curriculum. In the wake of the murder of George Floyd, the ensuing social unrest and the call for racial justice that follows, the need for a systemic approach to cultivate a better and deeper appreciation of the contributions of black people within New York City schools was more pressing than ever. I am so proud to be a chancellor who ushered our children back into school, but what I know is in ushering them back, they have to see and experience themselves every single day in the curriculum. The pilot program is expected to start next year. Okay. That is from um, ABC News affiliate Channel 7 in New York. Uh, name of that article is that it is from Wednesday, September 29th, Wednesday, September 29th. And uh, name of that piece is uh, NYC schools unveil groundbreaking black studies program for students in grades K through 12 NYC schools unveil groundbreaking black studies program for students in grades K through 12. If we look here at the, uh, briefly here at the article from blackamericaweb.com and they picked up reporting from uh, the New York Post. Um, if you scroll down here, oh, what, what happened? Okay, hold on just a second. We just lost our connection. Stand by. At the call the radio station back. Yeah, Jalen, we, we got disconnected. All right. All right. All right, we're back. We got disconnected. Um, I'm connecting to the radio station through Skype. We got disconnected. Okay, we're back. All right, so um, this is good news in uh, New York City. It's expected the program is going to start uh, next year. If we look at this uh, article here briefly from Black America Web, uh, New York City announces plans for educational reform and how black history is taught in America. Uh, they go on to say, now, now, once again, um, this uh, program is aimed at teaching students, this new black studies uh, curriculum is aimed at teaching students the role uh, racism played, the role of race and power relationships and the impact of systemic and institutional racism. Okay, and we have it right here the role of race and power relationships and the impact of systemic and institutional racism. Now, the main focus of the new curriculum appears to be creating a departure from 
the uh, black history we've traditionally been taught in K through 12 schools, which for the most part begins with slavery and ends with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And most of that is taught, a lot of that is taught is inaccurate. But you, uh, Shango Blake, Shango Blake is the uh, president of Black Edfluencers United. Black Edfluencers United that's involved in uh, this new curriculum. He said, quote, why did I have to go to the movies to learn that black women played a significant role putting America on the moon? He's talking about the movie Hidden Figures and the African-American women working at NASA, the mathematicians. Why did I have to go to the movies to learn that black women played a significant role putting America on the moon? Why didn't I learn that at school? Why are our children having to learn about Tulsa, Oklahoma, because it's the 100th year anniversary? Why wasn't it known? Why wasn't it known in the books? And for years, it wasn't even in the books. For years, it wasn't even in the books in Tulsa. I mean, <laughs> okay, for years, it wasn't even in the books in Tulsa. All right. And they did a... Uh, they 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 did a significant uh there was a significant effort in Tulsa to suppress that history and not write about it in the newspapers for decades now besides offering a more thorough teaching of african american history the curriculum will also train a greater focus on early african history and civilizations including ethiopia and timbuktu Okay, uh, the, the, the city in Timbuktu in the Songhai and Mali Empire, and you have the University of San Kore in the city of Timbuktu. Now, Eagle Academy Foundation Executive Joanna Johnson said during the curriculum's announcement that it's especially necessary now while there is still a national conversation being had regarding systemic racism in America. She said, quote, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, the ensuing social unrest and the calls for racial justice that follow the need for a systemic approach to cultivate a better and deeper appreciation of the contributions of African-Americans within New York City schools was more pressing than ever. She went on to say that uh, the initiative will offer a counter narrative to what has regularly regularly been taught in schools and a truer telling of our history, uh, a truer telling of our story, all students deserve to hear, okay? And all students need to hear this information. This, this can't just be for African-American students. All students need to hear this. The way, uh, the way you treat a people is largely based upon what you think about a people. What you think about a people is largely based upon what you have been taught about a people. So this is extremely important. As we talked about before, there was a study that came out uh, earlier in September. Uh, the Heal.com had this article from September 10th, 2021. And we'll go to the phone lines in just a minute here very quickly. Uh, over 60%, over 60% of Americans want children to learn legacy of slavery. 
over 60% of Americans want children to learn a legacy of slavery. This was a, a USA Today Ipsos poll survey. And uh, the Hill.com has this article from September 10th, 2021. And 63% of uh, Americans surveyed, 63% of Americans polled said they are in favor of their children learning about the lasting effects of racism and slavery in the U.S. While 30% of people polled said they are opposed to children's education on the topic, 8% were undecided according to USA Today Ipsos poll. Read this article here from um, thehill.com. Over 60% of Americans want children to learn legacy of slavery. So when we talk about now, the, re the reason why this is so important in New York City, because New York City is the, uh, has one of the largest school districts uh, in the country, okay? Uh, New York City. And the way the school districts in New York City go, because see, surrounding this, new curriculum, you need textbooks, okay? So the way um, New York, the state of New York, but especially the city of New York, which is the largest city in the country, the way New York and Texas go, as far as textbooks being used, that helps shape the trajectory of the rest of the country because textbooks have to be produced by the textbook manufacturers. Okay, so when you have something like this, this can become the pilot and this can be something adopted by other um, other cities, other states. But this is an example of why voting and putting the right people in office, especially at the local level, is, is important to be able to control uh, the curriculum that's taught in the school. And this is why local school boards are so important. And, and, and this is why you have uh, Republicans, uh, many of them organizing, taking over local school boards, running for local school board offices to control what can be taught in the schools. And you hear more about books being banned and lists of books being banned, et cetera. OK. And, uh, and a lot of this is tied to the uh, the, the, the the fake uh, outcry over critical race theory that's not taught in K through 12 schools. And this uh, 17 page article here from uh, NBC News helps expose all of this. Critical race theory battle invades school boards with help from conservative groups in towns nationwide, well-connected conservative activists and Fox News and Fox News have ramped up the tension in fights over race and equity in schools. And when they take over these school boards, now they're changing what can be taught in schools regarding history, et cetera. This is a, a huge article from June 15th, 2021. And then we, we just talked about here uh, this past week, we talked about the story out of uh, Tennessee. And this one here deals with um, uh, Tennessee parents Tennessee parents say uh, books dealing with civil rights. Let's see, let's pull this one up here. 
Tennessee parents say some books make students feel discomfort because they're white. And they say a new law backs them up. This is from September 29th, 2021. And this is in reference to uh, the, the bill that Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee signed in the law back in May, HB 580, which is a law aimed at banning so-called critical race theory from schools, but it's not taught in K through 12 schools. They really want to suppress what can be taught about the history of slavery and racism, systemic racism, things like this. They're even attacking in some instances what can be taught about the civil rights movement, what can be taught about Dr. King in schools. This is this is an initiative from Republicans, and this is a backlash to the protests and the Black Lives Matter protests and the social justice protests in the summer of 2020 regarding the killing of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, et cetera. This is a backlash to all of that. All right, let's go quickly to the phone lines. Let's go to Wadsworth, line one or line two. Thanks for holding, Wadsworth. Go ahead with your question or comment quickly, please. Hey. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I do have a question. Uh, uh, well, my question is this. Because you don't hear it for, you know, the first four is the racist, right? The first four is the racist, right? You said the what? I said the first few report that the first few report he was known as a racist. You said Henry Henry Ford, right? You said Henry Ford. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That was there was some there was some things regarding him. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, And then the mayor, and then the mayor, the mayor Cobb, Okay, so okay, so Henry, uh, the Ford Motor Company. That's up to the Ford family to change the name. That's up to the Ford family. That's not owned by the city. Henry Ford High School. You want to check with them now? With 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 Cass Tech, I've said Cass Tech needs to be changed because Lewis Cass was not only a slave owner. Lewis Cass was the Secretary of War for uh, President Andrew Jackson, and Lewis Cass helped to carry out the Indian Removal Act of 1830, which pushed the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians off their land in southeastern United States and forced them to go over a thousand miles out west into Oklahoma. And a third of the people that were on the Trail of Tears were African slaves because all five civilized tribes of Native Americans owned African slaves. So Lewis Cass was somebody who helped engineer uh, the, one, supported slavery, but two, helped um, uh, uh, engineer pushing African people off their land and help engineer genocide against African-Americans. So you want to, it's up to, now they don't want to change the name of Cass Tech. So uh, people have different levels of understanding of history. Okay. So hopefully one day they will. Governor Granholm changed the name of one of the state buildings, took Lewis Cass off of it because she has some sense. So we'll see what happens. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Wildsworth. 
Okay, uh, I want to squeeze this in here. Okay, we've got to go. Call back tomorrow night, Wadsworth. We only got a few minutes left here in the show. Uh, I want to squeeze this clip in here. So I was on, uh, and I'm a graduate of Cast Tech saying that. Anybody want to have a conversation with me? We can have that conversation. May not go the way you think it's going to go, but we can have that kind of told you before. We, we need to stop playing these games. A lot of people, um, they're, um, a lot of people's self-esteem is associated with their proximity to white supremacy. So Cass Tech, should that, that name should have been changed years ago. When African-Americans became the majority population in the school, they, they, that name should have been changed years ago. Okay. Um, you know, people don't name their institutions, especially institutions of higher learning after their oppressors. They don't do that. I want to go to this clip here. Uh, back, I was on Hapi Talks uh, with uh, Dr. Linda Jeffries and uh, Felicia Hardin. Felicia is the executive producer of the film Hapi. And we, uh, I was on with Taki Grant, the uh, director of the film as well. And we were on with Demetrius Hutcherson, as well as uh, from First Independence Bank and Sister Neza, also Chef, uh, Chef Neza. But we were talking about the urban crisis in America, okay? And the question came to me regarding reparations and the urban crisis and could it help, et cetera. Here's how that conversation went. All right, thanks. We get to sit back down. Then we'll bring in the special guest. Um, that's going to be on our panel that's coming um, through to Detroit. So it's going to be really super cool. Um, but, you know, let's get started just with this uh, topic. Um, you know, this urban crisis in Black America. This is something that's happening. It's been happening for a while. And there's many ways that we, um, we can get out of this and, you know, and, um, and start to really drive as a community. So the, my first question is actually for Michael, because Michael has to leave a little early. So, Michael, yeah. can, you, um, can you, well, let me just ask you this. Can reparations help the situation with the urban crisis? Um, so thanks for having me, Felicia. And look forward to seeing everybody this Sunday. Um, yes, repairing the damage can help with the urban crisis. When we deal with reparations, we have to really break this down and understand what we're talking about. And this is something I talk about on the African History Network show. Um, the root concept of reparations is not a payday, but it's repairing the damage. That is the legacy of slavery, 246 years of slavery, decades of Jim Crow segregation, redlining, et cetera, uh, laws and policies used to oppress African-Americans. So understanding it in that concept, yes, repairing the damage can do that. It has to be comprehensive. It can't just be cash payments, even though cash payments can be part of an overall, overall comprehensive repairing the damage package. And reparations is not going to be just one bill. It's probably going to be a generation of repairing the damage. You have to first adequately assess the damage that was done. And one of the things is that when we look at the uh, study that came out in 2020, September 2020, from uh, Citigroup Bank, it talks about how the, U the U.S. economy has lost $16 trillion just over the last 20 years because of laws and policies that are discriminatory against African-Americans when it comes to getting bank loans, college degrees, and buying homes, okay? So what that study did was it showed how the 
these policies are not just hurting African-Americans, even though we get the brunt of it, but how it's also hurting all the economy. So, yes, uh, repairing the damage can do that. It, it, it can help with the urban crisis. Now, you have to do, address the laws and policies that were put in place. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth upon resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. There was a study from Brookings Institute that deals with how African-American homes are valued at $156 billion less than comparable white homes. That ties directly into the racial wealth gap. It's not the only thing that ties into the racial wealth gap, but it ties directly into that. When we look at laws like the Homestead Act of 1862, which gave away approximately 270 million acres of land from 1862 to at least 1968, okay? Some sources say 1988. The U.S. government gave away this land, and we were largely locked out of these massive land giveaways. So now we have to look at how do you actually get, how do you actually pass reparations bills? Because based upon Article One, um, Section 9, Clause 7 of the U.S. Constitution, power of the purse, and people can go to house.gov and actually read this. The reparations bill has to pass both the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It takes 218 votes to get any bill passed in the House of Representatives, a simple majority. The form. All right. Um, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We'll keep going for a few more minutes. Be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and uh, register for my 10-week online course. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, as well as uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, okay? As soon as you register, there's bonus content you can watch. We do those sessions live. They're all recorded. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. All right, stand by, stand by. Okay, uh, we're going to try to finish that. Um, we're going to try to finish that uh, broadcast. Okay. There's a bunch of dumbasses on YouTube. Yeah, I, I find it interesting when people talk about reparations and you ask them how to get it and they give you a deer in the headlights look. They have no clue. They're just repeating hashtags. Um, we're going to go back to that clip. And we'll post the full the full clip. You can watch it because Dr. J came on after me. Maybe we'll play some more on Monday's show. Monday through Friday, we're only on for an hour. Uh, let me pull this up here just a second here. Okay, and this is at um, Hapi Film, H-A-P-I Hapi Film on YouTube. So they interview uh, scholars, historians, everybody. They interview a bunch of people. Uh, they have, uh, they just interviewed Dr. Leonard Jeffries a couple weeks ago, something like that, uh, by, by himself. And usually they, 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 they do it on Thursdays, but you know, I'm busy trying to get ready for my show on Thursday. So normally it's, they do it Thursday, 7 PM. This time they did it Thursday, 9 PM. Cause a lot of us, they were trying to accommodate our schedules and a lot of us couldn't do it at seven. Okay. Let's go back to this clip here hurting all the economy. So yes, uh, repairing the damage can do that. It, it, it can help with the urban crisis. Now you have to,
did address the laws and policies that were put in place. Okay, now this is very important because one of the biggest mistakes is people thinking that reparations means a check. And it means you really don't understand the damage that was done by a legacy of slavery. 246 years of slavery and what happened after slavery and what happened after slavery ended. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth upon resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, the adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. There was a study from Brookings Institute that deals with how African-American homes are valued at $156 billion less than comparable white homes. That ties directly into the racial wealth gap. It's not the only thing that ties into the racial wealth gap, but it ties directly into that. When we look at laws like the Homestead Act of 1862, which gave away approximately 270 million acres of land from 1862 to at least 1968. Okay. Some sources say 1988, the U S government gave away this land and we were largely locked out of these massive land giveaways. So now we have to look at how do you actually get, how do you actually pass reparations bills? Because based upon article one, um, section nine, clause seven of the U S constitution, power of the purse, and people can go to house.gov and actually read this. A reparations bill has to pass both the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It takes 218 votes to get any bill passed in the House of Representatives, a simple majority. The 435 seats in the House of Representatives takes 218 votes. In the Senate, for most bills, it takes 60 votes. So if you had a reparations bill, now, when we look at H.R. 40, and I know Dr. J will probably want to talk about this because he's one of my teachers and he is with in Cobra. And I interviewed uh, Cam Howard, a national male co-chair of in Cobra, a few months ago, right before H.R. 40 passed out of the House Judiciary Committee in the House of Representatives for the first time in 32 years. That's the farthest it's ever gotten, H.R. 40. That's the farthest it's ever gotten. If you go to Congress.gov, I encourage everybody to go to Congress.gov. Congress.gov is where you go to read the bills that are coming from the House of Representatives and U.S. Senate. You can also see which members of the House and Senate actually support the bill. Oh. Congress.gov, H.R. 40 has 190 co-sponsors last time I checked within the last month or so. All of them are Democrats. No Republicans support H.R. 40. I just want people to understand this. No Republicans. I need a Democrat and a Republican, but I ain't stupid either. No Republicans support H.R. 40. The two black Republicans in the, in the House of Representatives are against H.R. 40. Burgess Owens from Utah, former NFL player, Republican. And I don't know if he has chronic traumatic encephalopathy, but he sure sounds like he does, CTE. He testified at two House committee hearings on reparations. He testified against black people getting reparations. You think he's going to vote for it? No. So now in the Senate, if all 50 Democrats in the Senate vote for H.R. 40, when he, whenever it gets to the Senate, based upon everything the way it is now, you need 10 Republicans to vote for it. Well, Senator Tim Scott, Black Tea Party Republican for South Carolina, already says he doesn't vote for reparations. He's not going to vote for reparations. So if the Black Republican is not going to vote for reparations, how many white ones do you think will vote for? So it's, 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 it's understanding the process. And then the, 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 one of the most important things that's, that we have to understand is that Americans are very ignorant of history. Ameri they don't even understand their own history. That's why they run around with the Confederate battle flag in Northern Virginia under General Robert E. Lee's army calling it the Confederate flag. There were three flags that flew over the Confederate States of America from 1861 to 1865. That flag that's on the Dukes of Hazzard car, the General Lee, 
named after white supremacist slave yeah. owner, General Robert E. Lee. That's not the Confederate flag. It, they've adopted that as a as a symbol against civil rights, trying to oppress African-Americans and keep us in the position that they think we're supposed to be in. So you, you America must have a massive history lesson to connect the past to what's going on today and the uh, uh, structural inequities that COVID, the COVID pandemic has exposed a lot because for a lot of people, and you, you have even well-meaning people who they've heard about slavery, but they don't understand all these laws and policies. They don't even understand their history. And, and, and the fight over critical race theory, being taught in schools, I've dealt with all this on my show, that is designed to deflect from dealing with the real history and is used as an umbrella to attack anything dealing with racism, systemic racism, teaching about the history of slavery, et cetera. Lastly, there was a, uh, a study that just came out early this month from USA Today, Ipsos. 63% of Americans, American parents, say they want their children to learn about the legacy of slavery in schools. 63% of Americans. Do so they do? Or they do. Yeah, they do. Okay. 63%. You, and you have, and, and, and you have uh, a lot of these stories I deal with. We just dealt with one dealing with a book ban, a, a ban on books at, uh, in New York, at a school district in New York two weeks ago. Uh, York, Pennsylvania, an uh, all-white, uh, all-white school board has banned a number of books written by uh, non-white authors for children. Okay. The problem is, is you have a lot of white children who want to learn the truth, and there's a lot of teachers saying, "Look, they're arguing with the politicians, saying, look, we need to be able to teach the real history in school. We need to be able to talk about white supremacy and things like this.'" Teachers are different ethnicities. So America must have a massive history lesson. We must understand the process to actually get a reparations bill passed, okay? Because a lot of us want it, but don't understand the process to get it. And uh, the uh, lastly, uh, I encourage people to read the U.S. Constitution as well. Because Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution lays the foundation for a legal argument to reparations in the U.S. Supreme Court case 1841 of the Amistad slave ship backs it up as well. And that's outside of the Black Freeman Indian Treaties of 1866, which is another good legal argument. Wow. Okay. Um, Dr. J is one of my teachers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mic drop. In fact, you know, because you alluded to it, so Dr. Jeffries will be with us in um, in Detroit. There you go. Hey, Dr. J. Hey. Um, no, how to our people? Hotep, yeah. Dr. J. Hotep. Add it on. He's gonna kind of forever. Yep. Yes. Um. Wow. Um. There's so many things. You know, one of the, so many, so much you said, Michael. But uh, one of the things I was thinking about when you were talking about this banned book, uh, yes, you know, banning the books. You know, they. Just, I, I looked at some um, new. Um, now you know they're really looking at the books that are actually existed existing now in curriculum mm -hmm. in terms of social studies and just right. how they phrase and talk about slavery and how all of those books are like those are, if you're talking about banning some books those books need to be banned i mean right. they go but, from go ahead but see the, the people who make those decisions at the local level are the school board they're largely the local school boards there has been an attempt over the past about a year from conservatives to take over local school boards 
It's being fueled by conservative think tanks. It's being fueled by Fox News. Part of this was spearheaded by Donald Trump. A lot of this was spearheaded by Stephen K. Bannon, who used to be an advisor for Trump in the Trump administration. He used to run Breitbart News. He did a podcast. He has a, a podcast. His podcast where he talked about the, the role to political power is through local school boards has been yeah. downloaded millions of times. And there's a 17 page expose from NBC News that that dealt with this uh, whole phenomenon. And it deals with and I'll give you the name of it is right here. And I know it's 17 pages because I printed it out. This one here is called Critical Race Theory Battle Invades School Boards with help from conservative groups. And it talks about what's behind all of this, okay? And how, they, um, uh, how, how they're attacking anything dealing with um, teaching about history, systemic racism, slavery, uh, when you want to talk about uh, uh, equal rights, all things like this. They put all this under the banner of critical race theory. And critical race theory is not taught in K-12 school. It's in K-12. It is a legal analysis that's taught in law schools, graduate schools, a little bit in college. And it's not taught in K-12. All right. We're going to uh, stop it there. We may share some more of this uh, tomorrow. And uh, I'm going to post a link here. You can watch the full uh, panel discussion. This was uh, from, what date was that? I think that was, oh, let's look at this here. Uh, September 23rd. September 23rd, and that's that uh, Hapi film, H-A-P-I, Hapi film on uh, YouTube. All right, and we just posted a link there. You can watch the full uh, broadcast. Hapi Talks Special Edition Addressing the Urban Crisis. In black America. Okay. If you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, and also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. Um, when you go to Cash App, it's uh, our Cash App tag is dollar sign the AHN show, S H O W, dollar sign the AHN show, S H O W. These other ones here are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. When you go to ours, it'll say Michael and show my picture there. And be sure to register for the uh, new 10 week online course uh, that I teach on Sundays. It just started up Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, Kemet won the original names for Egypt. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Uh, we deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors and what the Moors take into Europe as well, the teachings from uh, the Nile Valley region of Africa and ancient Kemet. Uh, we also deal with the... Um, we also deal with ancient Africa as well. And uh, the, uh, we do the sessions live, uh, normally Sundays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. All the sessions are recorded and archived. You can go back and watch them. So we'll post a link here uh, uh, once again. And then the other class that I teach that is 
that picks up where understanding the transatlantic slave trade leaves off is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And we do this one on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. And we go through and analyze approximately a 10 year period of history. We deal with some history leading up to the Civil War uh, taking place. What were some of the events that led to the Civil War taking place? And then we uh, go through and look at 1865 to 18 to 1865 to 1968. We go through Reconstruction, uh, 1865 to 1877, Jim Crow era, World War One, World War Two, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement, and we we look at the effort to suppress African Americans and and uh, totally enforce white supremacy after Reconstruction ends, and to suppress the African American vote, take back control of state legislatures. Um, and what happened in the 1880s and 1890s and then going in the early 1900s and 1901 with the Alabama state constitution, that same thing is taking place now that Republicans are doing in state legislatures to suppress the African-American vote, Latino vote, uh, Asian-American, uh, some white people's votes, et cetera. Okay. So we see this backlash and we see history repeating itself once again. All right. So we have that uh, there at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, so the, from the Civil War to Civil Rights Movement, that's on sale $70 for a limited time only, regularly $130. We do the sessions live. All of them are recorded and archived. Uh, and then also we have a, a special, we have a sale going on. It's been extended for a few days. Get a get 20% off orders of $100 or more on digital downloads and uh, DVD lectures at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Use promo code 8HN20OFF, promo code 8HN20OFF. We extended uh, the sale for a few more days. And uh, and all of my DVD lectures and digital downloads are there. We have bundle packs also, like the, uh, we have a 15 DVD bundle pack of, uh, of my lectures here. Uh, so we have one on Black Wall Street. Uh, that's a two and a half hour presentation I did then with the history of Black Wall Street. This one right here, it's a 15 DVD bundle pack. Uh, good any time of the year, Michael M. Hotel 15 DVD bundle pack. All right, we'd have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.